Let's give him a hand. And you're good. Yes, thanks everyone. We are super excited to go on this mission trip. I wanted to start with a question that uh, is related to our, our mission trip. Really, our mission trip is really about sharing the love of God with others. And I wanted to ask you this morning, what would you say is the biggest barrier in your life to sharing the love of God with others? Most of us know that that's part of uh, the Christian life. It's part of God's heart for us. Not just that we would experience God's love and know God's love, but also we would not keep it to ourselves, but we would share it with others. And yet it seems that that outreach, that, that witness and, and testimony and evangelism seems to be one of the most difficult parts of the Christian life. So if you think about it for yourself, what are some of those barriers? I was thinking personally, I would, I would have to say busyness gets in the way, right? That so many things happening, we're doing so many things going, that it's so easy for me to neglect uh, really connecting with neighbors or friends or family who don't know Christ. If I'm really honest with you, one of my biggest barriers is selfishness, right? To, to share the love of God with others is a selfless act. You actually have to stop thinking, I have to stop thinking about myself for a moment and think about others. And at the end of the day, right, we all begin with that pretty self-centered focus, right? And I think perhaps that's a really significant barrier to sharing the love of God with others because we have to get our focus off of ourselves. I was talking with another leader and, and he said, you know, I, I don't really know what to do or how to begin or how to, to start. I, I'm unsure. I, I know God is loving and desires a personal relationship with everyone and yet I, I don't know how to make those connections, right? With, with some people that, that don't seem interested at all in faith-related things, how do I make those connections? And some people in my life, they, they have some animosity towards faith thing. So how do I make those connections? I was praying over those barriers of sharing God's love, and I felt like the Spirit drew me to a very old and ancient story in the Old Testament. That if you grew up in children's church, if you did uh, VBS at all, if you enjoyed Veggie Tales, <laughs> you're going to know this story. It's the story of Jonah, and we're going to have it on the uh, screens for you, but if you've brought your Bibles, I, I want you to turn there. You might use the table of contents. Uh, it's, a, it's a very small book after Amos and Obadiah and before Micah, but Jonah, I think the reason that I was drawn to Jonah is because I would like to suggest that he is 
the absolute worst example of sharing the love of God with others. I mean, he's terrible. He's, he's not the hero of the story, right? He's not even close to the hero. In, in fact, part of the story is so entertaining because he's so willful and, and, and cantankerous towards God. We get that towards the end of the story, right? And he just doesn't want to cooperate with what God is doing. And he's a prophet. I thought we could benefit from the negative example that Jonah is of sharing the love of God with others. I mean, that's part of parenting, isn't it? Right? You say to your kids, like, hey, I made some mistakes. Let me share with you so you'll learn from my mistakes. They never do, do they? They have to make their own mistakes. But perhaps by the grace of God, we can learn from Jonah's mistakes. So let's turn to this ancient book and let me give a little bit of context to this old, old story. This, Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was serving a long, long time ago, between 800 B.C. and 750 B.C., a long time ago. And he was serving what was known as the northern kingdom. Israel was at a northern and a southern kingdom. Northern was ten tribes. It was a, a little bit bigger. And actually, in they think in his time in ministry, he was also ministering with other prophets like Amos and Hosea. And it was a, a rare, pretty good time for the northern kingdom. In fact, some of the enemy kingdoms that were, that were kind of their rivals and that they would battle and war, they were, like, they were kind of held down. And so there was this prosperous time within the northern kingdom of Israel. Even the big bully of the block, Assyria, they were having some internal struggles. And so some of the other prophets were being told to speak to the nation of Israel. And they're saying, hey... You're kind of focused in on your favored status, and you're missing some things. You're missing some things. So I wonder if Jonah would have expected to have a message from God for the people of Israel. Like, hey, get it together. You're, yeah, things are going well, but don't, don't take that. But no, he gets an unexpected enemy, uh, uh, message and mission for the very enemies of the nation. In fact, the nation that would conquer them eventually. So let's read the first couple of verses in Jonah. This is Jonah 1, 1. You'll see it on the screen, but or let's read the first three verses. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amati. Go to the great city of Nineveh, that was the capital, of Assyria, and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah. I love the but Jonah. No, this is God's plan. He's working. And we're moving, the story's moving along, but right away, verse 3, but Jonah ran away. The prophet of God runs the opposite direction. He's called to go east, and he goes west. 
But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Not many books in the Old and New Testament start with the prophet of God running the opposite direction of God. Right away, we can learn from Jonah and his poor example. Now, actually, we are not told why he runs. It's, it's worded in a very interesting way. This, this enemy of Israel, their, their wickedness comes before the Lord. It's interesting that, that God, even though they are they're Gentiles, they're, they're not children of God, God sees their lives. He knows their lives. He cares about how they live their lives. And according to history, the Assyrians were pretty rough and evil people. They were known for their violence, especially when they, they, they would uh, conquer another nation and they would bring some of the people and the things, the cruelty that they did to others was terrible. Yep, there's a, a, a map. You can see that no, uh, 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 Jonah was supposed to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and he goes the opposite direction. Now, we don't know yet in chapter 1 why Jonah runs. Maybe he just doesn't want to be the bearer of bad news. Maybe it's out of compassion and love for the Ninevites that he runs. I'm going to suggest the, the last story is going to tell us, but it's neither of those things. But we're going to just hold on to that. It's part of the, the fun of the story. Why in the world would Jonah run? I would say he's modeling for us a negative example right in the first couple of verses from, from the beginning that he is saying no to God's purposes and plans and mission, what God is, has plans and purposes for each and every one of us. And I believe a, a, a vibrant part of, of kingdom life, of the abundant life, is in our relationship with God, we get to pray and in relationship, hear his voice and, and discern his will and his ways and respond to his voice. That that's a, a beautiful part of the abundant life, life in the kingdom of God. And Jonah says, huh? Okay. He wasn't hard of hearing. He understood the mission. He, he discerned God's voice really well. And then he turns and goes the opposite direction. First example is this, is that to learn from his ne negative example is to say yes to God's voice every day. And I would say, if we are really going to share the love of God, we've got to first and foremost say yes to God. You can't share what you don't have, right? And if you're not walking and, and, and living the love of God, if you're not walking in um, a shared life with God, 
you're not going to be able to share that with others. In fact, from Jesus' own mouth, Jesus said, keep in mind that a vital part of love is, some of you know this, is what? Obedience. Jesus specifically said, if you love me, you'll heed, you'll, you'll, you'll live my words. I think for many of us, that, that is, is counter to how we live our faith, right? We say, I'm a believer in God. I love God. And yet we don't heed his words. We're not aligned with his ways. Jesus said this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. That's not really vague, is it? That's pretty clear, right? He, he says that point blank. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. He's talking about this intimate relationship with us, but crucial to that, that expression of love is our discernment of his will and his ways. And we're saying yes to what he's saying is true and right. Some of you were here for uh, the Revelation series and uh, when we focused in on the Antichrist and, and the false prop, prophet, do you remember we talked about three big ones that they're going to really use and manipulate the world with? Do you remember those three big ones? Not quite sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Almost. But, right, sex money, and power, right? That's the way. And did you know that God had a lot to say about our sexual lives, how we use our influence and authority, our, our power, and how we use our resources and our finances. God is saying, I've created you. I, I, I've knit you together. I've, I've plans and purposes to flourish you. And it's a good life. And yet all these ways you can go sideways. So I'm going to give you a lot of teaching and understanding of how you live sex money, and power, and so many other things, because that's the key. That's the key to a life that's flourishing, is that you would say yes to what I'm saying about those areas. You see, really, it's a lie of the enemy. He says, you can say yes to God, but not live his will and ways. You can say, I love Jesus, and yet the way in which you live does not reflect his loving commandments or boundaries or direction. Now for Jonah, it was direction. It was focus. It was this missionary sense of call. And he says no to God. I just I, I think it's something the Holy Spirit has been placing on my heart. But the last couple of messages... There's been, I've shared with you ways I'm trying to say yes 
to the Lord every day. In fact, those three ways that I'm trying to say yes every day in prayer. Some of you will remember a couple of weeks ago, I shared about Matthew 11 when he says, those who are weary, come to me. Take my yoke upon you and I'll give you rest. Rest for your soul. So every morning, I, I'm trying, I'm not, not doing it legalistically, and, but I, I'm trying to allow Jesus to lead. So I'm, I'm ducking my head under his yoke and saying, yes, Jesus, w- would you lead? Would you guide and direct this day, this day? Sometimes I get to the end of the day and I've realized I really walked on my own strength and power and my own direction and I failed to really walk under his yoke. A second way I shared, this was last week, that, that Aramaic phrase of Maranatha. Who remembers what Maranatha means? Come Lord Jesus. Yes, come Lord Jesus. He said in John 7 that he offers Anyone who is thirsty, come to me and drink, and streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he talked about the Holy Spirit. That every day, I I don't want to live in my own strength. Every day, I want to live in God's presence, the, the streams of living water. And so I'm quite honestly trying to pray that several times a day. Because so easily I can move to my own strength. My, what are my own thoughts and my own, Lord, Lord, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, in my life. Your presence and your power, I long for more of that. And this final one, this really, this yes one is from the Father. He said that if you would prioritize or seek first my kingdom, then I'll give you everything else. Everything else will flow. He's talking about a priority here. So I want to say yes to Jesus' yoke. I want to say yes to, to the Spirit's power and presence in my life. And I want to say yes to God's kingdom priority in my life. Because then he says this. It's so beautiful. Luke 12, he says, But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, children of God, For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Isn't that awesome? That He's saying, I'm for you. Yes, I'm with you. I want to give you and show you and reveal to you how to live this life. Right now, today, he's delighted in showing you the life he's created, created you to live every day. So friends, I'd ask you this. Is there an area in your life that pretty consistently you're saying no to the Lord? Is there an area that you would say, yeah, I, maybe it's just the grand scheme of things. You've not said yes to God. 
You've not received Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've not said, okay, God, I get it. You created me. You have, you have purpose for me. You have meaning for me. You have a, a desire for my life to flourish. And you've never said, said yes to God. I would encourage you this morning to say yes to God. But some of us have said yes to God, and yet there is an area Maybe it's a mission. Maybe it's a direction. Maybe it's an area of, of holiness and righteousness that you've just consistently said, boy, God, I, I know you've said this, but I'm going to do it my way. Maybe it's an area of, maybe it's a new direction that God is calling you, that you've had the unction, this thought keeps coming back again and again. No, I, I can't do that. Is there an area that God is saying, no, 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 a vibrant part of the Christian life is saying yes to me every day. All right, let's continue on with this beautiful story. Picking up from verse Four, it says, then the Lord, part of the fun of the, the book of Jonah is seeing how God responds to Jonah's disobedience. Maybe he'll just let Jonah go somewhere and find a beach somewhere and just live on his own. But again, not according to Veggie Tales, if you've seen it, no. God is engaged and in fact, I think this is how he engages you and me. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All right, he's at sea, he's on the ship, he's going the wrong direction, and all of a sudden this violent storm comes. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. They weren't, they weren't Jews, they weren't children of God. They were, they were crying out, they were pagans, they were Gentiles, crying out to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship in hopes to save the ship. But Jonah, there's that but Jonah again, Right? There's a frantic things happening on the ship. They're, they're getting rid of everything they can. They're trying to save the ship. But Jonah <sighs> had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. That was an ancient way of, of trying to discern uh, God's will or the God's will of what was happening and what's going on. So they cast lots. The, uh, they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? What, uh, from what people are you? So they're giving him the third degree. They woke him up, right, he's sharing. He answered, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. This, uh, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew 
he was uh, running away from the Lord because he had already told them. I don't know what that looked like. Maybe he jumped on the ship and was like, hey, by the way, I'm fleeing God. <laughs> Just so you know. And they're like, okay, all right. right. They're on the sea. All of this is happening. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their very best to row back to land. Let's pause there for, for just a moment. Who is the hero of the story? Isn't that interesting? The pagan sailors, those who don't know God, they want to do right, right? They don't want, they're concerned about this. So what's the, what's the negative example of Jonah. Let me ask you this question. Compassion is an important word in sharing the love of God with others. In reading of the story, do you feel like Jonah was having compassion on the sailors that he was with? I guess you could argue one way or the other. I'm going to go with a not very much, right? Jonah knows he's the cause of the storm. Jonah knows that this is a life-threatening situation. In fact, he knows that they're pagans. As they were tossing off the cargo, he should have said, you guys could die, and you don't know the one true living God. You need to repent and fear him. What does he do? take a nap down below. He doesn't really care, I don't believe, about the sailors at all. In fact, he knows he's the cause and he's just letting them scramble. I think through his negative example, we want to grow in sharing the love of God with others. We have to live compassionate lives. We have to live, not only say yes to God, but, but then share that life of compassion and love of God with others, especially those who are far for, from him. Let me ask you this. What's the opposite of compassion? A lack of compassion, yes, okay. But specifically I'm getting to indifference indifference to the situation, the, the spiritual situation of others. I would like to suggest that, that Jonah, he, he was sharing or modeling an indifference to the life of the sailors. And friends, I, I don't want to throw stones from glass houses that it's really easy for my life to betray an indifference as I allow myself to get busy with other things. It can seem as if I'm indifferent, especially to those who don't know Christ. And I think part of what God wants to do in a profound way is that he would stir a passion within us 
especially for those who spiritually are far from God. They don't know his love. They don't know his desire to adopt them as, as daughters and sons. They don't know that he's offering a vibrant, beautiful relationship with them. I'm concerned that someday when, if friends stand before the, God, before the Lord and they've not known him, I don't want them to turn to me and say, why didn't you tell me, Eric? Why didn't you let me know of God's love? Jesus, of course, is the beautiful example, especially in opposition to Jonah. Compassion is used for the life of Jesus that he lives and models. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without shepherd. They didn't know that there was a great shepherd for everyone, for every individual that God offers to be our shepherd. Christ Jesus offers to be our shepherd. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. He did a number of things. He, he taught them the truth of God. And he healed and ministered to their needs. Jesus was the opposite of a life of indifference. Jesus lived a life of love. Lived a life of compassion. He sacrificed his time, his energy, his focus. He went to different towns to town because to minister to the people who didn't know the love of the Father. And then, of course, we know he gave the ultimate sacrifice. He died. The, the work of the cross was a compassionate expression of the love of God. It was the expression of God's kindness, of God's love, of God's grace that he offers, his mercy that he offers. Jesus' life was not just a model, but an invitation for you and me to live with that same compassion, that same love that God has for each and every person. Especially those who are far from God. Especially those who are the least of these. And especially those who we would even say are our enemies. He's saying, no, no, no. Love them as well. Perhaps the, the, the most famous parable in, in the Gospels is the prodigal son, right? Most of you know the prodigal son, and we, we love the prodigal son. It's the story of the, the younger son basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. He, he takes his part of the inheritance, and he runs off, and he, he blows his inheritance on, on wild living, prostitutions, and all, prostitution, all that stuff, right? So he goes... And the Father, who is a picture of our Heavenly Father, he, he's, he's waiting. He, he's waiting and longing for the prodigal son to return. And so finally he sees him from a long way off. And the, and the younger son comes to his senses and returns to the Father. And the Father says, yes! And he throws a party. And actually a lot of us, when you first read the parable, it's easy to think that the parable's about the prodigal son. It's called the prodigal son, right? 
But in fact, there's another character, which is the older brother. And they're throwing a party for his brother. And I would like to suggest the older brother is not indifferent like Jonah. The older brother despises his younger son. Uh, his younger brother. He despises that he would have the audacity to ask for his inheritance early and blow it off, and now he's coming back? He thinks he should be well, his, the father thinks he should be welcomed in, so that parable ends unresolved. In fact, the parable ends with this picture of the father and the elder son outside of the party. And listen to it, how it ends. This is what the father says to the elder son. He says, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. This relationship, we're good. It's a love. You're experiencing my love and grace. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found end of the story. Does the elder brother let go of his hatred of his younger brother and go to the party? We don't know. We don't know. Is Jonah going to let go of some of his indifference and go to Nineveh? Well, we'll read that in the next couple of weeks. We'll find out. Are you and I going to let go of our indifference, of our busyness, our, of our selfishness, of whatever barrier is getting in the way from sharing the love of God? Will we join the party, you could call it a search party, of God's desire that every individual on the face of this earth would know that he loves them and has sent his son to die on the cross for them. I can't answer that for you, but I'm going to try and answer it for myself the best I can. All right, let's finish the story. We'll pick it up again in verse 13. We'll just and the chapter, it says, instead the men did their best to row back to the land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord. That's interesting. They were crying out to their individual gods, and now they're crying out to Jonah's God. They believe Jonah. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. They are living life with a righteousness that Jonah is not. You could say they're a little bit of the heroes of at least chapter 1. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. An affirmation from the Lord that in this particular context, they did the right thing. Listen to how, they, how it ends then. At this, the men, the sailors, the Gentiles, the pagans, greatly feared 
the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. They turned away from their pagan gods and they turned to God himself, the one true living God. Now, I want to give credit where credit's due because I think the, the final example that we can learn from Jonah in chapter one is this, sharing our life authentically with others and Jonah, when they give him the third degree, when they ask about who he is and what's going on, at the very least, he's honest, yes? He, he says, I'm a Hebrew, right? I worship God and so forth. He even gives them the right resolution that that means throwing him overboard. He's like, actually, that's going to do. Now, does he do that with passion and conviction? In compassion for their life? I mean, it just feels like it, it's so reluctant, right? Is it? All right, since you guys asked, I'm a Hebrew. If you want to follow the one true living God, it's up to you. I mean, that's how you live, but whatever, right? He's got this reluctance, I think, to the sharing, but at least he shares and he's truthful. And I want to suggest that this is a natural part of sharing the love of God is that we would just authentically share our lives with others. That, that, that is, if we're saying yes to God, if we're walking in a vibrant relationship with God, that that's part of friendship, isn't it? Whether that, that friendship is, is with a Christian or someone who doesn't know God, just a natural part of friendship is that we're sharing our lives with one another. I was thinking back to college, and after every weekend, my fraternity brothers would share of their exploits of the weekend, right? It was usually very different than my exploits of the weekend. And I would just let them share, right? And they would share. And I would never share. Because I thought they were bored, they'd get bored or they wouldn't be interested in kind of the faith things that I was into. And then I realized, you know what I realized? I'm actually not participating in authentic friendship with my fraternity brothers. I'm holding out. I want to give them a chance to see a life lived in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so it was my focus to start sharing that, that sharing. Listen to what uh, Jesus said Two, about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He said this, when the helper, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. The Spirit of God will testify about who Christ is, who God is. You will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. He's saying that's how it works. The Holy Spirit will start testifying in your life. Right? He was talking to the original 12, but now they, they walked and talked with Jesus, but that's also the role of, Je uh, of the Spirit, is today you and I get to walk and talk with the Holy Spirit. He wants to continue to testify in our lives today so that what? 
we would testify to others. That we would share our authentic lives with others. More and more, I'm convinced that evangelism was not what I thought it was. I used to think it was about winning arguments and challenging wrong beliefs about people and, 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 and discussion and, and thoughtful engagement. Of course, that's part of sharing the love of God. But really, its beginning place is really sharing your life with others in a friendship way, in a, an authentic way of living in communion and intimacy with God and then beginning to share that life with others. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, uh, this Apostle John said. The life appeared, he's talking about Jesus Christ. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's saying we experienced the life and now it's that life that we share with you. A few weeks ago, I, I saw a, a friend from years past. I'm pretty sure that he doesn't know the Lord. And we were sharing about jobs and family and so forth. And then he asked me, he knew I went back to school and I thought right away, oh, he's going to be so uninterested in spiritual formation and spiritual direction. And I wasn't going to share. I was just going to, you know, was, oh yeah, doctorate. And then I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to share it. So I started talking about what's it, be, being, what's it look like to be made in the image of Christ. To be formed in Christ. That, that I'm still growing and I'm, I'm learning and I'm Relationship with Christ is, is happening and I'm learning and I'm really loving what I'm learning. And you know what? My friend was interested. Or at least he was a really good actor because it seemed like he was really interested. Maybe he said to his wife later, woof, hokey Pete, that guy's off, right? No, but it, it just really seemed like there was an interest. And, and in that little way, I was just doing my best to authentically share about life in Christ, life with Christ, what that looks like. So friends, can we learn from Jonah? Can we allow the spirit to kind of poke at our indifference? our selfishness? Can, can we allow him to, to stir a, a, a passion, a love, that we can really believe the gospel, that God's love is for each and every one of us? And it's really the best way to live. It's this abundant life. It's this life that's flourishing. It's in life as Christians, if we're walking in Christ, we won the lottery, yes? 
It's this beautiful life. Yes, it has hardship. Yes, it has difficulty. And yet, to walk in intimacy with Christ, it does not get better than that. And it's that life that God wants to stir our hearts and share with others. Would you pray with me? So, Lord, we... Lord, I, I, I just feel conviction preaching uh, Jonah 1. Unfortunately, I relate to Jonah as I have been reading and thinking and meditating over Jonah 1. So, Lord, would you meet us here? Lord, we want to live first and foremost lives that say yes to you. We want to say yes in every area of our lives. We want to say yes to your love in us. Just want to ask you if there's an area of your life that you want to say yes to him, that you just, maybe it's been a while since you've said yes. Any area, or it can be for the first time, yes to his love. Just want to give you the opportunity to respond just in a public way. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand if there's a particular area that you want to say yes. It's the, these two sections. Yeah, just raise your hand. See that. Yes, good. Could the, could the prayer ministers come up here? Um, Pete, Scott, if you want to come forward just you don't have to go forward if you raise your hand yes but they're available to to pray with you you're going to go over there and then Katie do you want to go on the other side okay and then these two sections over here is there a, just an area that you want to say yes to God this morning yes Anyone else? Or, or yes for the very, yes. Yes for the very first, yep, in the back. Yes. Again, the, the prayer, yeah, Deshaun, just the prayer team is available and Pete's in the back if you want to pray with him or Katie or Scott. If you just want to pray over that yes as we sing our final song. And Lord, I want to say yes to your compassionate heart of love. Lord, would you help us to say yes to allowing you to challenge our indifference, our selfishness, our sin, our hard-heartedness. Lord, would you you soften our hearts, Lord Jesus. Give us soft hearts towards you that we might discern your voice. And Lord, soft hearts to others, especially those who are far from you. 
that we would be praying, loving, and sharing our lives the best we can, led by your Spirit, with others.